Hello and a very warm welcome to the gardening podcast that's for everyone who enjoys growing their own flowers, fruits and vegetables. I'm Dan and I'm Julia and together we're two good gardeners. We're an all-inclusive podcast so whether your garden is big or small, north or south, sunny or shady, we are here to share our gardening know-how and great ideas that you can try at home. We upload a new episode every fortnight, packed with news, timely tips and the occasional interview with gardeners we admire. Think of this podcast as a bento box of delicious goodies to be consumed with gusto. Now we've whetted your appetite, let's crack on with episode 7 of series 2, sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Welcome back and Merry Christmas everyone. This will be our last episode before the big day and our penultimate episode of this series. So we wanted to take the opportunity to share a little cheer and offer our best wishes for the days ahead. May they be merry and bright. It seems you all loved our last episode where we chatted with Nellie Hall, brand director at Alatex, about year-round greenhouse gardening. It was great to be in Hampshire and to see Julia face to face. We may even have snuck in a little business lunch. You might have noticed that the sound quality wasn't quite what it could have been and that was entirely down to our inexperience at recording in a greenhouse. Let's just say our producer managed to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. <laughs> she really did. And you know that old saying, don't throw stones in a glass house. Well, maybe don't record a <laughs> podcast in one either. <laughs> oh. We know now, don't we? <laughs> we certainly do. But it what it was such a treat, wasn't it? To sit in the conservatory nestled in a bright sunny day. I find it's always so uplifting visiting Alatex and wandering around their greenhouses on site, no matter what time of year there's always something on the grow and this time the geraniums stole the show for me they were just fab weren't they dan they were they looked so rudely healthy compared to anything that's growing in my garden at the moment they were an absolute (laughs) treat but i don't think you can beat being in a greenhouse when it's cold and wet outside there's something so comforting about the smell and being so near and yet so far from the elements Sadly, my greenhouse is a little bit too small and decrepit to spend a lot of time in, but perhaps Santa might bring me a new one. Not sure I've been good enough for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely on my list, as you know. Oh dear. Right, so every episode we discuss a hot topic, and this time it's to embrace a more sustainable Christmas. A lot more people are steering away from buying real Christmas trees and purchasing everlasting ones instead. I, for one, am finding old traditions quite hard to break, especially as I love the scent of a real tree in the house. One year we did cut down our own Christmas tree, which did feel good, and as it happened it was getting far too large and blocking our view from the house. But I know I should, I just can't bring myself to do that yet, Dan. But I know you you have sustainable Christmas trees, don't you? Well, I don't know. Let's... let's discuss whether they're sustainable or not I don't know but we're certainly not going to get all bar humbug about it as there's already quite a lot to think about at this time of year and we're not going to solve the world's problems all on our own. Sustainability at Christmas 
was my top priority in my old life working at John Lewis, where we spent years removing the plastic windows from boxes, the glitter from baubles, taking the film off rolls of wrapping paper and really rooting around into the facts about whether a real tree or an artificial one was the most sustainable. But at a time when most of us consume more than we usually do and take care to manage our budgets, it is a real challenge not to default to cheap and cheerful solutions. But I do think Christmas can be done more sustainably. Above all, I always go back to my favourite adage, which is buy once and buy well, because less sustainable materials only really become a problem when they're discarded. While you're using them, they're generally not too harmful. So if you're going to buy an artificial Christmas tree, I would say to buy the best one you possibly can and use it for as long as you possibly can. I had a customer in 2019, when I was still uh, working at John Lewis, offer me the Christmas tree that she'd bought in the store in 1964 for our archives, because it had become too large for her new home. So that was a 55-year-old artificial Christmas tree, and that, I would say, is good going. It probably in terms of an environmental footprint had definitely neutralised itself by then but I come back to the fact that whatever your arguments for and against real or artificial an artificial Christmas tree is going to end up in landfill at some point unless we find more sophisticated ways to recycle them and so that is in the end you know, going to take hundreds, if not thousands of years to break down. And they are complex items. So it's a mixture of different materials. So it's not simple to recycle, like, for example, a carrier bag. Yeah. So the question is, did you take the tree for the archive? We didn't. The archive didn't want it, which is rather sad. But uh, but there we go. It had still had a good innings. (laughs) It definitely did 55 years. It's pretty impressive. Well, you're right about uh, the recycling and the different components in an artificial tree, because according to the Carbon Trust, a six foot artificial tree has a carbon footprint more than 10 times that of a real tree that's burned after Christmas. So you'd need to reuse an artificial tree, but up to 10 times negate its carbon footprint. Yet it's estimated that fake trees are used only four times, regardless of their quality. That's a bit shocking, isn't it? It is a bit shocking. I find it quite hard to believe that, actually, because maybe it's because I think your thriftiness uh, has rubbed off on me. But I was, <laughs> I, I hate waste anyway, even before we met. And so I've had all of my artificial Christmas trees for much longer than that. And most of them look as good as new when they come out of the box. So... Um, mm. Goodness knows what these trees that are only used four times look like. No, it's sad, isn't it? And and during the 10 years or so that a real tree takes to reach about six foot, which is possibly, I'm going to say, a standard size for most people's trees, um, it provides a habitat for lots of wildlife and captures carbon from the atmosphere. And what's interesting is that putting your tree out for the local authority to collect, which they're encouraging us to do, isn't the most sustainable way to dispose of your real tree burning it in your garden reduces emissions by over 80% versus those that are collected, chipped and composted, which is also madness. 
It is. There's a lot of very counterintuitive stuff, isn't there, which I found when I was learning about sustainability um, in my buying career. But there's a lot of stuff that you think, that must be good. And then when you delve down a bit, you realise it's not quite as good, or it might even end up being bad. But yes, who would have thought that burning a Christmas tree in your in your garden, I must stress, don't try burning it in your wood burning <laughs> stove, because you'll end up with all sorts of pine resin clogging up your chimney. But yeah, who would have thought that burning it in, in the garden would, would be lower emissions than composting? And of course, that is because when the tree is chipped and composted, methane is produced, and that is one of the worst greenhouse gases. Mm. So I guess that's what it is. I could talk for hours about Christmas trees, but what about <laughs> other tree trimmings? What are adv- all Christmas trimmings? What advice have you got for us about those? Well, there's quite a lot because Christmas wreaths can be hugely sustainable, much more so these days. And and I'm going to start with wreaths because yesterday I made mine. So I'm feeling a bit festive here now, which is exciting. Bravo. Um, So, (laughs) yes. uh, So they are, in fact, more sustainable than you would think because you have a wire frame these days. This is how you're encouraged to make them filled with forage moss and greenery collected from your garden. And all of that looks fantastic and doesn't cost much. And the wireframe, obviously, you keep year on, year on. And then think beyond Christmas tree fur, which a lot of people just use, and the eucalyptus, which if you don't grow it, can have a cost to buying it. There's loads of greenery in your garden from Leylandii, which gives a fresh look and also is scented if you squeeze it. It's got a nice movement in the wind as you open and shut your front door. There's obviously ivy, holly, hebe, skimmia, laurel, bay, olive, rosemary and thyme. All of those would look fantastic in a wreath. In fact, I sort of described a herbal wreath, haven't I? <laughs> and as you brush past coming through your front door, it's rather lovely as it releases this rather nice scent. Uh, you can add foraged pine cones and dried citrus. And if you want, you could always then splash out and buy a few flowers during the Christmas week and pop those into the moss because the moss would still be damp. And that would look quite nice too. And then moving on to the house, you could use fruit and veg for decoration. So chilies, for example, look fabulous threaded to make a lovely garland, which I did last year and hung above the fireplace. They're obviously a gorgeous red colour and they dry so beautifully and they just dangle nicely. You can dry citrus rings for your wreaths, as I've mentioned, or just scatter them at the base of a storm lantern or just fill a bowl with scent. It just looks rather lovely, a few bowls distributed around the house. This year I've got lime citrus rings on my wreath and I've also got chilies because obviously I've got to have a fruit and veg wreath. But anyway, <laughs> um, talking of bowls filled of things, you could just actually buy some clementines or satsumas and just fill those. Make sure you buy them with leaves because that's really lovely and looks attractive and smells good. You could dry whole clementines and stud them with cloves and hang them with a red ribbon. Pine cones equally look good on a wreath or you could just put them in a bowl or tie them to dangle with some red ribbon and let's not forget I dried my alliums from the summer which will be sprayed gold and they'll be positioned in a vase to twinkle in the Christmas lights and lastly a little tip I make my own cranberry sauce which incidentally is really easy but there are always spare cranberries left over so I just tip them into the base of a storm lantern Add a white pillar candle and that looks hugely festive and is actually very inexpensive. And also going on to filling vases, which Christmas flowers can be very expensive at Christmas time. So why not fill it with 
foraged foliage. Go out into the garden with your clippers, the taller the better. Any branch will do, even branches without green leaves can look really attractive and you could even hang a few baubles or something on them. So that, that there is a way of creating this lovely lush Christmas festive feeling without it costing the earth. And this year, more than any other year, there's an abundance of holly berries. Well, there is here in Sussex. I don't know if you've got the same. The birds just haven't stripped them, which normally I'm saying to people, first of December, it's getting cold. Go and get your holly berries, put them in some water and hide somewhere cool. But this year they're everywhere. So go and collect some holly. That's also for free um, and looks fantastic. It has been an exceptional year for berries. I saw that Alan Gray had posted some pictures from East Ruston of the most impressive, well, of course, it would be impressive, wouldn't it? But the most impressive (laughs) holly tree, absolutely laden with berries. But you may not have long because I had heard a very interesting bird singing in my garden. As you know, I'm in a very urban area here, so we don't get many interesting birds. And I have this Merlin app, which tells you what bird is singing in your garden. And it was a red wing, which is a kind of thrush, which apparently is often um, goes around with the old field fairs. So they're about those birds that like the berries. So they may get to you at some point. So yes, pick your holly now. I've been dying to ask, where do you stand on grasses? Because I've seen quite a lot of pampas grass popping up in wreaths so far that I've seen on Instagram this year. Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down from Mrs Parker? That's an interesting one. There's no pampas grass here. No, actually, I do have some grasses, but I normally put them in in springtime. I don't normally think of them as Christmassy, but why not? I think they'd look rather lovely with red berries, wouldn't they, Mm. and some green foliage. Oh, I think that's nice. I'm not sure I would stretch the pampas grass, but if you've got them, why not use them? (laughs) So I think, you know, from what you've said, there is no shortage of material that you can use to make your indoor decorations, which is probably why I was a little bit enraged when I went to my local waitress the other day and saw some really perfectly nice wreaths made out of fur, natural fur and things but with sprigs of plastic pine that had been added into them. So bad. Not only did they not need the sprigs of plastic pine, Mm. but actually makes it really difficult for the end consumer then, when you've got real and faux that look pretty real, to try and then recycle that at the end of Christmas. I was a little upset with Waitrose for that because I think they really didn't need to do it. You know, leave the plastic bits off, please. We don't need them. We don't. No plastic at Christmas time or generally throughout the year. Well, Dan, you mentioned earlier on about wrapping when you were at John Lewis. And and so what's your take on wrapping at Christmas time? Well, this is where I go back to the fact that we can't really solve the world's problems on our own. And it does take the retailers when it comes to things like wrapping and the gifts themselves to actually do some of the work on our behalf. And by and large, I think... People have done pretty well when it's come to wrapping paper because it has been much talked about over the last few years in terms, you know, we all have that dreaded sort of bin liner full of wrapping paper, don't we, at the end of Christmas morning and we have to decide 
what to do with this. And retailers have worked really hard on this. So I don't see many rolls of wrap now with the film around them. And lots of the rolls no longer have the central core of cardboard in them as well, which, again, that's something that none of us need. I know what you would be doing with it, but (laughs) lots of people wouldn't be quite as practical as you. So a lot of those would be recycled too. More and more paper now is unbleached craft wrapping paper, you know, the brown paper with a slight stripe in it is quite trendy to use and looks really great, just used with some jute or some wool twine. By and large, people have taken metallic finishes off the wrapping paper because any metallic foil or glitter means that you can't compost the paper or recycle the paper so a lot of that's come off and the retailers have done a good job of that and so most of what we have now can be shredded and added to the compost heap because you do need to take any plastic tape off because that isn't going anywhere but Julia you'll know you know what what uses are there for paper in a sustainable garden well there are uses so obviously depending on what the paper's like so not the metallic paper you would have to put that into landfill but there are some uses there aren't many but other than making newspaper pots you could make Christmas wrapping pots that would be fun yeah they'd look quite fun as biodegradable (laughs) containers they'd look really attractive wouldn't they um you could use layers of the wrap with your cardboard to maybe either line the plastic trays you're storing your dahlias with or other crops or Mm. just to you know, things like that. It's quite good. You could shred it and you could either add it to your compost, which you've just said, but or you could use it as a mulch around the base of your plants. The only thing I would say is that it does make an okay mulch, but obviously because it's so thin, it biodegrades very quickly. So I would suggest mixing it in with the compost and then mulching then. The best things, though, to save are card and cardboard. And as you've just given me a nod about my card roll inserts yes I will be slicing them up and using them as as pots but they are brilliant cardboard or the boxes or the delivery people save all your boxes and you can put them on the beds even if you're not going to do a no dig gardening you can actually just block out all the weeds by blocking out the light and it is a good way and they biodegrade and it may look a bit unsightly but you're reusing you're recycling and you're doing some good so yeah that's what I think I think you could use as much as you can and and be mindful I think that's the thing yes I mean do sort of weight it down as well because I've got images of shredded paper sort of blowing around all over the garden but if you can as you say sort of put it under the mulch yeah would that would really help it break down wouldn't it yeah mixed in with compost would be the best idea then it stays put now of course the other thing that we could all do is to not use wrapping paper and um i've always been very keen on using gift bags i have a drawer full of gift bags which get recycled (laughs) people probably get them back you know they probably forget (laughs) then five years later they get their gift bag back But they're great because although sometimes they do have sort of unrecyclable finishes on, they they generally last a few times and people are quite happy to be handed them back. What I really love, but I don't think it's really caught on yet, is the Japanese idea, which is using a fabric wrap called furoshiki, which is a beautiful sort of purpose-made piece of fabric which is used to very artfully tie a gift tie around a gift and of course as as you would expect from the Japanese there are lots and lots of different ways of tying that sheet of cloth 
I can't remember whether the idea is that the cloth is returned to the recipient or whether the pe- the the person who receives it is the one who reuses it. But nevertheless, it is you know it is a completely sort of sustainable thing because these pieces of fabric go on and on forever. And there are some beautiful designs, as you can imagine, with cranes and things on them which is really lovely so we don't even need to use paper at all no you're right in fact i was given a beautiful piece of fabric from japan from a very lovely girlfriend of mine with a gift and it had tomatoes all over it and Ah. that was so pleasing in itself before i even unwrapped my my gift and so i've obviously saved it and I know they're meant to be squares. This actually wasn't a square, but I use it as a basket liner because it's just so attractive and it sits in my napkin drawer and I think, oh, yes, I'm going to use that today. But I don't (laughs) think they're given back when you're presented with them. I think you just reuse them. It is such a good idea and they have been doing that for centuries. So we need to sort of take a tip from their book, don't we? Um, We do. I mean, I don't know whether the squares are actually leftovers themselves from the fabric industry or whether they no, just make them specially. So anyway, if anybody hasn't heard of this way of giving gifts, then Google it. Um, we'll put the name on the show notes. And it's fascinating how you can tie them and how mm. beautiful they are. It and is. of course, let's not forget, no sellotape used as well. So there's just no plastic. It's lovely. No, it's really, really clever. Yes, and if I get any bits of spare fabric, I've got a New Year's resolution to make a scarecrow next year because I really want to have a bit more fun in my garden and allotment next year. This year has felt hard because I've been to so many events at the weekends and it's been more of a chore than I wanted. So next year I'm determined to have a bit more fun. Good. And before we get off this subject of sustainability at Christmas, it's worth going back to our earlier episode where we talked about Christmas plants and just reiterating that most of the plants we buy for Christmas decoration, you know, the hyacinths, the cyclamen, the amaryllis and paper whites, they all have a long life beyond their first festive season. So once the flowers have faded, and they do sometimes go over quite quickly, it's important to give them good light, let the foliage grow, wait until it starts to die off naturally, at which point you water them a lot less so that they dry out. And then over the summer, those bulbs will toughen up and they will mature and stay dry. And then you can start them into growth again in the autumn. The one plant, which I think, you know, I already have a bit of a bugbear about and I've noticed a few people talking about them on Instagram is the poinsettia, which I think is probably one of the most unsustainable plants you can buy at Christmas. Of course, lots of people will tell you that they can be kept alive and that you can get the bracts to reappear again the following year. But in practice, that is really, really difficult unless you're very, very committed to the cause. So uh, the vast majority of poinsettias, whether they're grown in the UK or not, are just going to end up in the bin or on the compost heap. So if you want to be more sustainable, buy something else. But that's not to say they're not beautiful, but they're just probably one of the less sustainable choices you could make. Yeah, sage advice, Dan, and also particularly this year, certainly on social media, there's been an influx of not just the pillar box red, Christmas oh, red poinsettia. Yes, yes. There's a whole new plethora of <laughs> colours and they have hit the commercial world, haven't they, yes. with an explosion. So 
yeah, I, I don't like them anyway, but I'm celebrating a full house here from my amaryllis that I grew last year, though, because I did exactly that. So they flowered, I let them go to green leaf, then I took them out, took all the soil off and totally ignored them in the greenhouse. <laughs> and now I potted them up in October and, do you know, one is going to flower before Christmas. I mean, it just makes you feel good that I've managed to do that. And hopefully I'll be able to do it next year as well. Yeah. That's fantastic. You see that? How much more joy does that give you than your poinsettia that you're constantly having to pick leaves up from as it dislikes everything about your house, the heat, the drafts, the everything else. But anyway, let stop me now, otherwise I'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So we really hope that has been a useful reminder of some of the small ways we can be a little kinder to our environment this Christmas. And of course, if we've missed anything or you think we've got it wrong, please let us know. Now, Julia, at this time of traditionally heavy spending and groaning credit cards, do you have a thrifty project up your sleeve to help us all save a few pennies over Christmas? Of course I do. And it is growing your own Christmas lunch ingredients. All that said, as many as you can. I hate the last big Christmas shop. Hate's a strong word, isn't it? It's just the worst thing. (laughs) I write it in my diary. I think to myself, I'm going to give myself three weeks warning that I'm going to be getting up early at five o'clock on that particular day to beat the crush and have the pick of the bunch. I just can't bear going there, having a Harrods fruit and veg fight and then having to queue at the checkout. So the other thing, I definitely don't want to return to the shop if I've forgotten something. So imagine cutting loads of items off your list because you're growing them at home. Not only does this save time, stress and money, but it also tastes so much better and will be of optimum freshness as you can pick as and when you need. Now, here's a list of what I am growing this year, just to give you an idea. And I don't have masses of space. I have some space, but it's easy to grow these and a number of them for your Christmas lunch without taking up huge great beds. So of my list, there's one thing that I'm actually not growing on this list and I want Dan to guess at the end perhaps what it is these are all the things that you can grow and that I'm growing all by one so parsnips carrots potatoes brussels sprouts cauliflower red cabbage horseradish yes horseradish is easy to grow but you need to contain it in a container bay rosemary garlic and then of course you can grow your own stuffing ingredients thyme sage onions lemons parsley and then salads so i always have a christmas day salad in the evening because i kind of need a bit of cleansing we have a christmas lunch and by the evening we are groaning so in the greenhouse we have radishes pea shoots little cos lettuce rocket mustard patchoy beetroot leaves mint coriander spring onions And kale also, which I've classed as a salad in the winter because it is delicious eaten raw with a parmesan dressing on top. Or you could just bake it with olive oil and salt. So of my list, Dan, can you guess what it is I'm not growing this year? I have grown them before, but I actually don't like them. They're a big part of a Christmas lunch. My guess was horseradish, but then you talked about it too much and I thought, mm, yep. no, it can't be that because horseradish is is quite invasive, isn't it? Yes. So you haven't grown them this year. Brussels sprouts. 
Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was really a guess. So I did well there. I've obviously been watching your Instagram closely enough to know that I haven't seen any in Parker's Patch yet. No, you won't just see them. I have grown them before, but the thing is, I I really don't like them. I was force-fed them as a child, so I'm afraid my family, if they want Brussels sprouts on Christmas Day, they do actually have to put them on my shopping list. I love them, you say. I absolutely love them. I can't wait for them to, the season to start. And then I sort of eke it out as long as possible afterwards as well. So isn't it funny? <laughs> it must be a taste buds thing. Yes, yes. Anyway, I think that's not bad, is it, for growing some of your Christmas ingredients? It does cut a lot off your list. It is. And how satisfying as well to to know, even if you don't produce a lot, because often crops that we grow ourselves you don't end up with a huge abundance I know tomatoes and potatoes and things you can sort of see yourself through but some mm. things like peas and things like that they're, they're sort of precious crops aren't they yes but if you're going to eat your own food on one day of the year I mean Christmas day is a marvellous time to do it isn't it but yeah. not least for yourself but to yeah. impress your family as well <laughs> so when practically speaking then when because obviously no one is going to be able to grow their own Christmas lunch today so when would you start the process they can grow pea shoots because they're fast and you can oh, have yes, some baby radishes yes. in time probably um no so I started about October time I think that's a good time. Potatoes, September. Parsnips, unfortunately, you need to be so ahead of the game. So I sow my parsnips in March. So make a note in your calendars. If you want parsnips for next Christmas Day, then you need to sow them in March, end of April. But then you're pushing the boundaries. They are very slow burn. And then the kales and the sprouts that I don't grow, um, I kind of normally would sow those mid mid July August depending on how hot it is because I hate them bolting when they're seedlings so again I always bang on about being organized but if you're organized it's quite easy to do brilliant right so everyone needs to make a date in their diary for March and get their parsnips in and then everything else sort of in succession afterwards but if you are going to plant horseradish just beware that it is a little bit invasive, as well as sort of quite an ugly thing. I saw it for sale in the Good Shed in Canterbury yesterday when I went to oh, do some you? Christmas shopping, and there were these gnarled yeah. roots sat there in a in a tub. Yeah. And I looked at them and thought, hmm, there's quite some preparation involved there. But um, <laughs> yes, grow it somewhere where you can keep it under control. Yes, mine's taken over. Well, anyway, so that's my thrifty project. So, Dan, what is your product of the episode? What, what are you going to, to sort of end on? Well, I'm going to repeat myself Ooh. without feeling guilty and talk about flower frogs again because they are just so fantastic for creating mm. Christmas table decorations. We want them to be quite low, don't we, and quite neat and formal, generally because you want people to be able to see over the table yes. and talk to one another at Christmas. But that's when the flower frogs really come into their own. So if you want to create something quite neat and structured then they're really good for that as well of course as the beautiful Japanese asymmetric ikebana but they're just as good for traditional arrangements so I use them to create little table centerpieces different different sizes and if you're going to put a dinner candle in they're also great because you can support the dinner candle on the spikes and of course you have the added benefit from a safety point of view of the fact that your candle is standing in water so should it 
burn down to the bottom, which heaven forbid it wouldn't, you have got the added security of knowing that it's going to burn down into a little pool of water. So I've done a YouTube video about this, which we'll put the link in the show notes. But my little trick for doing the candle is to put your flower frog into a heat proof dish. So a little oven dish is fine. And place it in the bottom and then pour some hot water over it. It doesn't need to be boiling, but quite hot water over it. And then you take your candle and you push the base of the candle down very gently onto the spikes. And what will happen is obviously the hot water will soften the wax and it will go down onto the spikes and it will sit there very securely. Make sure the pressure is vertically downwards. Don't resist the urge to wiggle it backwards and forwards. And then very carefully you tip away the hot water and replace it immediately with cold and that literally sets the candle onto the flower frog completely hard onto there. You won't be able to wiggle it round at all. And then of course you can transfer your flower frog into the bowl that you're or dish or vase or whatever that you're going to do the arrangement in and your candle you know is set firm on that base. And I tend to use a fairly large flower frog because then you've got space around the edge of the flower frog to arrange your flowers. But as I say, if I haven't painted a particularly clear picture, which is very possible, then go and have a look at my YouTube channel because I've got a crafty little video there that shows you how to create a small Christmas table centrepiece. I've done a couple in this video that are matching, but of course you can scale it up by using a much bigger bowl or you can do little individual ones for each place setting. But but what's nice to know is that those arrangements are going to last a long time because one of the chief advantages of using a flower frog is that you have so little plant material below the surface of the water that you don't get all the bacteria building up like you do in a vase when you've got lots of stem in the water. So the flowers could last you a couple of weeks or more if you arrange them in that way. So yes, I'm still going to go on about flower frogs. They are a lovely gift for anyone who has a garden. You need absolutely no flower arranging skills to be able to use one, which you will see from my video. It really is a case of just using your eye and trying to get things in roughly balanced but there's no real rules about it and yes so for anyone who has a garden where they get bits that occasionally break off or they just like to be a little bit creative in their home it makes a nice gift and if you want to bundle it up with a bowl or something that's even nicer so still still top of my christmas list as a a gift for gardener florist or just someone who loves flowers they are perfect gifts. So I noticed that they were selling like hotcakes last week when I was your assistant at one of the <laughs> fairs. But I love your idea with the candle because how often have you tried to put a candle on a spike and it cracks? So that yeah. is brilliant with the hot water tip. So I'm going to start calling you Dab Hand Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a gentle way of doing it. And of course, I should say as well that at the end of Christmas, when you want to get the candle back out of the flower frog then you just reverse the process so you put the Ah. kenzan flower frog back into a heat proof dish pour hot water over 
lift the candle out and if there's any residue in between the spikes if the water is hot enough it will literally just wash that away and and clean it all through so it's a very easy process to reverse as well brilliant brilliant and you still have some on your website so if anyone is left last minute gifts rush to dancoopergarden.com brilliant (laughs) (laughs) well we'll let you off repeating yourself dan i think that's allowed because flower frogs are one of my favorite things (laughs) <laughs> so before we go, we like to share what we will be up to between now and the next episode. Dan, are you still manically busy or are things calming down? Do you know, I think they are sort of calming down. Maybe they're just calming down in my head a little bit <laughs> because I've got to the point now where, you know, I am where I am. So whatever happens from now on is just destiny and I can't do much about it. But as this episode goes out, I am going to be at We Sell by the Sea in Whitstable, which is a lovely concept pop-up shop where lots of different makers artisans curators get together and they can book a space and there's a communal area in the middle and it's just such a lovely atmosphere i've deliberately chosen to be there for the last few days running up to christmas the 14th to the 17th of december because the company is so great so whether there are customers or not there's just a lovely atmosphere And Whitstable is one of those rare towns where there are still lots of independent retailers, lots of love for the town and support for the town. And I find it really uplifting to be there, actually, because it shows just what can be done if the community puts their heart and soul into making their high street great so i'm going to be there yes 14th to 17th of december slightly different opening hours every day and i'm in the window so you won't be able to miss me even if you don't want to come in come and pull silly christmas faces at me through the window (laughs) and then after that i am going to have a few days just to do all the things that I haven't done for the last few months. So lots of cleaning, tidying. I shall be arranging fresh flowers and things in the house because even though we haven't got any guests, I love them. You've got to do a few things for yourself, haven't you, at Christmas? Yeah. How about you? Because it's not all over for you either, is it? No, it's not. So uh, I have had a week full of lots of orders from the Little Growers Cookbook, so I will still be fulfilling some of those. It's been fantastic, actually. Yes, so I can do signed copies, but Amazon and Waterstones, Amazon have temporarily sold out. Waterstones selling them at a cheap price, so if you want to get them there, (laughs) last-minute gift, Little Growers Cookbook. Uh, And then on Sunday, I'm actually going to be on um, BBC Radio Kent answering questions on a new show hosted by Pat Marsh. Each week, different techniques experts are invited into the studio for a one hour gardening section and it's my turn this week to answer fruit and veg questions so anything could happen oh do you think i should call in you know i should put on a funny voice and call in with some tricky questions (laughs) (laughs) oh maybe i will not can't wait for april (laughs) maybe there'll be an april full edition i can really wind you up then (laughs) <laughs> let's see if they ask me back first let's get over the first but this hurdle. is this is great news isn't it because so many local gardening shows have ceased haven't they and this is yeah. the replacement isn't it for for ones that it have is. gone in the past so we really hope that's a great success for you because we everybody yeah, really you. enjoys their sunday gardening programs yeah thank you dan fingers crossed <laughs> 
So that's us. It's almost Christmas and we want to wish you a very happy Christmas. We'll be back in the new year with a special New Year's resolution episode. We haven't quite figured out how it's going to work yet, but we will share with you some of our gardening New Year's resolutions and reflect on 2023, which has been quite an eventful year. We started this podcast, we got shortlisted for an award, we've become really good friends so it's been a great year for us and we'll want to look forward to another great year with you so it just remains for me to say again happy christmas from me and happy christmas and goodbye from me and dan you look lovely in your christmas hat today (laughs) thank you julia merry christmas (laughs) you've been listening to the two good gardeners podcast with dan cooper and julia parker Sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then why not click follow on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss out. Leaving a rating or writing a review will help us reach other gardening enthusiasts like you. We'll return here with a freshly prepared smorgasbord of delights in the new year. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Dan Cooper Garden, at Parkers underscore Patch and at Two Good Gardeners or visit our websites. You'll find the addresses in the show notes. If you've got questions for either of us, you can email them to hello at dancoopergarden.com. Until the next time, happy Christmas and happy gardening. <laughs>